0: Amen. What a wonderful message it is that Jesus saves. I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 13. And we want to turn to this portion of Scripture, the book of Acts chapter 13. And we're going to read from verse 14 of the portion of Scripture, Acts chapter 13, and beginning our reading at verse 14. And when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. And the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high arm brought ye them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of Kish a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a saviour, Jesus. When John had first preached Before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abram, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent And they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all this, all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher, but God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with them from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And he declare, and we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, This day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said in this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. But be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold ye despisers... And wonder and perish, for I work a work in your day as a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath day also came out almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. And when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, And judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honourable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Let's just unite together, please, to the throne of grace again. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for these scenes. We thank thee for the preaching of the word, both to Jew and to Gentile. And we thank thee for the offer of salvation that is made to the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike. We thank thee that there is salvation uh, to those that come to thee, we're glad that whoever, whosoever, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we pray that even tonight that thou wouldst place the word of God to our hearts and our souls and draw us nigh to thee. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. The sermon that we have just read there in the portion of Scripture is the first recorded uh, preaching of the Apostle Paul. Uh, It may have been that he had preached before, but it is not recorded in the Word of God. And you'll see that he preached, first of all, to the Jews. He went into the synagogue. And then, as a result of that, the Gentiles asked him to preach to them. So you have the first uh, sermon to the Gentiles. We read that Paul had made his way from Perga, Uh, that lay on the coastal plateau of Asia Minor, and he had come down to sea level to Antioch of Pisidia, and they arrived on the Sabbath day or near the Sabbath day because we find that uh, Paul immediately went into the synagogue in order to preach the word, or, well, he went in to worship God anyway. Now, when he went into the Jewish service, there are a number of parts of a Jewish service First of all, there was the reading of the portion of the law and the prophets, uh, the, uh, the preaching or the reading of the word of God. And then there was the midrash or the sermon. And it was the custom in those days that someone who was a visitor in the synagogue would be asked to say a few words. You'll remember how that the Lord Jesus went into the synagogue there in Capernaum And he was asked by the leader of the synagogue to preach the word. And you remember how the Lord Jesus was able to bring a word from the prophecy of Isaiah. And when he asked the Lord to speak, the Lord had told them that this day was the prophecy fulfilled in their eyes. And we find that on this day here, that we read in Acts chapter 13, that the leader of the synagogue turned to Paul and Barnabas and asked them if they had any word to speak. And we find that Paul stands up before them and begins to preach the word of God. And we think of this tremendous sermon that is made here. And Paul comes to bring the word of God. And this is the first recorded uh, occasion in which Paul brings the word of God. Now, it is interesting then to see the themes that Paul is going to set forth. What is he going to say as he comes to these Jews, as he comes into this place to bring the word of God? What is Paul going to say to the people? Because in this day, as in every day, the devil would want to, in many ways, mar the gospel and cause confusion about the gospel and to bring all sorts of uh, false gospels in so that people don't know what is the Word of God. And we want to see here this man, this apostle, what it is that he preaches as he seeks to bring the gospel of God. Because the uh, thing is that you don't want to hear my opinion. You, You don't want to hear my way of salvation. I could tell you the truth. Or it may be that what I tell you is not the truth. So what you need tonight is the truth of God. What you need tonight is that we have God's precious word, that we are bringing the doctrines and truths of what God has said in his word. And tonight we want to think about this sermon that is preached by the Apostle Paul. And I want us just to think about the way that he preaches And about the themes that he brings. So that we know that what we are preaching is the same as the Apostle Paul. Because it is that message that you need to hear. Not my message, nor the message of a church, nor the message of a preacher or any man. We need the word of God. And if it is the word of God, then the responsibility that you have is to obey the word. It's not to uh, turn it away or to ignore it in any way. But dear friend, you've got to hear and heed the precious word of God. So what we want to do tonight is to look at Paul's first sermon here, preached in Antioch and Pisidia. And we want to see what it is that he's setting forth before these people. And the first thing they want us to look at as we look At the message of the apostle Paul is his approach. I want us just to see the way that he brings the word of God. I want you to see what it is that he does. Look at verse sixteen, for example. I want you to see what it says there. It says after he was asked to preach, we see in verse fifteen, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them and said, "Ye men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people." Say on. And then it says in verse 16: Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. So he's attracting the attention of the people here. He wants them to hear. He is not going to give a, a dry lecture that means nothing. And dear friend, we're not here to give a dry lecture. This is something that means something. This is something that has to do with your soul's eternal welfare. But then I want you to see how he goes on. And I want you to see what he says. The first words are, men of Israel. Now that would have attracted the attention of the people in the synagogue because those words immediately uh, cause them to remember that they are God's covenant people that God had made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob and with David, and how that God had been the uh, God of his people, Israel, and how he had chosen them. And you look at verse 17, and I want you to see that the theme of Paul's message immediately is the message of predestination. Now, perhaps that's not a theme that many gospel preachers will enter into immediately, But I want you to see that that's immediately what Paul enters into, into the uh, doctrine of election and predestination and the doctrine of God's choosing of a people unto himself. Now look at verse 17. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a high arm brought them out of it. So here is God's power and God's might on behalf of his people. But I want you to see that immediately the theme is God chose this people. Now, when it comes to the choosing of the children of Israel, that's not often something that is controversial. Everybody, every Christian Everybody that comes to the Bible knows that God has chosen out his people, Israel, uh, from among the nations, and it doesn't seem to cause controversy, but when we come and then we say that God still chooses out a people, well then that causes all sorts of controversy. But here is the Apostle Paul, and at the very start, he is underlining the fact that God is sovereign in salvation. That God chooses out a people to himself. Notice the mention of the word chose. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people. And you might be horrified by the fact that God has chosen, and yet he has. We read in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And the word they foreknow there. It indicates to love. And we think of how God is foreordained. That he draws a people to himself. And you think of many of the epistles. And uh, Paul wrote the epistles. And he addresses the sea of people. And he starts out by speaking to the elect. Now why does he call them the elect? Because they are elect of God. Because they're God's elected people. And we think of how God from everlasting has chosen out a people to himself. And why must he choose a people to himself? Because in our sin, we would never choose him. That's the point. We would never choose him. You, you, people think that God has given some ability way down in the human heart that there is something that will choose God. But there is not. Uh, we have been totally deprived by the fall. And the Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity against God and is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And you say, well, that leaves me in an awful predicament because I, I, I'm not going to choose God. I, 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 I'm going to rely on God. But dear friend, I want you to see that while the Apostle Paul emphasizes predestination, he also emphasizes your responsibility. Because we think of how he calls upon these people to turn to God. He calls upon these people to repentance. He says, uh, "We, uh, verse 32, we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise was made unto the fathers. And then he goes on, And he says in verse 40, beware. And then he says in verse 41, Behold, ye despisers, and wander and perish. And then he says uh, in verse 39, And by him all that believe are justified. All that believe. And there's the tension there between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. But both things are there. And dear friend if you perish. You'll not perish. Because God hasn't chosen you. You will perish. Because you never believed. And the only thing that you need to do tonight. In order to come to God. Is believe. You've got to trust him. You've got to come in repentance. And cry unto the Lord. For salvation. And for mercy. And both of those things are true. You can't just hide under the sovereignty of God and say, God hasn't chosen me. How do you know God hasn't chosen you? Because you've never called. But if you will call, then you can say, God has chosen me. And the only way you'll know that God has chosen you is if you call. And as far as you're concerned, the thing is that you've got to call. So will you call upon God tonight? Will you trust him for salvation? We think of this great theme, perhaps as a theme that many preachers would overlook and wouldn't take. And yet, here is the Apostle Paul, and immediately enters into this, that God chose these people. But not only is there the theme of predestination, but there is the theme of God's power. You'll think of the mighty power of God that is spoken of in this passage, because now Paul goes on, And he begins to rehearse the history of the children of Israel and the way that God brought them out of the land of Egypt and how he brought them into Canaan and how he destroyed the seven Canaanite nations. And then you get a rehearsal of the history of Israel and you can see how that God in his mighty power that had chosen these people brought all things to pass. And we think of how God in his mercy has reached down uh, into the lives of men and women and has brought them from nature's darkness. And we think of the power of God to save. He has power to save you. He can reach down into your life and he can lift you from the guttermost, and he can bring you to the uttermost. He can give you new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think of the many times you can look in the Bible and you can see instances of God's power in lives and we can see it through history. In the 1859 revival, the Reverend Joseph Barclay of Carmona Money told of the story of a man who was a confirmed drunkard and he was invited along to one of the revival prayer meetings. But he went along really to mock rather than to listen to the word of God, uh, if not worse, and as he was in the prayer meeting, the preacher or the speaker pointed to a tree that was nearby. The, the meeting was in the open air. And he pointed to a, a tree nearby. And he said, that tree will testify against you on the, day sal- on the day of judgment that salvation was offered to you and you rejected it. And that struck the man and he went home. And it was like a bolt of conviction, and he never had rest day or night. He realized that there was going to be a day when he was going to have to stand before God, and the very creation itself would testify against the fact that he had been told the way of salvation and that he'd never come. And dear friend, as a result of that, he came and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as a savior. God broke in in power. Getty Oosley was one of the uh, men known as the black cap preachers toured around Ir- uh, Ireland preaching the gospel with another man by the name of Charles Graham. They were Methodists. But one day, Charles Graham, or uh, it was actually Charles Graham that was there, but uh, Getty Oosley told the story about Charles Graham one day. He was on the street of Irvinstown and a man came around the corner and bumped into Charles Graham, and the man was co- uh, carrying a cockerel, and uh, he had uh, a bird under his uh, coat. And as a result of bumping into Charles Graham, uh, the uh, cockerel uh, got free and came out from under the coat in a shower of feathers, and the man was caught out. And the Charles Graham took the opportunity to speak to the man about his sin and trying to cover over his sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. And there in the middle of the street at Irvinstown, that man got down on his knees and cried out to God for salvation. And you see the way that God can break in suddenly. God in his power had broken into Israel. God had destroyed nations. God had done these mighty things for the children of Israel and the same God who can destroy nations is the same God who's able to save you. And dear friend, you might think, well, how could I be saved? And yet God, in his mercy, saves to the uttermost those that come unto God by him. So there's the theme of predestination, and there's the theme of God's power. But there's another theme here in what Paul preaches, and that's proof Now, you'll see if you go down through the portion of Scripture, for example, in verse 33, he says, as is also written in the 2nd Psalm, and then if you go down there, uh, you'll see in verse 34, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Verse 35, Wherefore he saith also in another Psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. And as uh, the apostle here is preaching, He's preaching the Word. He's preaching the Word. He's not coming with his own philosophy. He's not coming with his own ideas. And really here he is, and he's preaching to the Jews, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he wants to do is to prove to these people that what he is preaching is the Word of God, that the Lord Jesus died and rose again from the dead in fulfillment of of the uh, Word of God, and what he is preaching is in accordance with the Word of God. And that's what every preacher has got to do. We've got to come to you with the Word of God. It is the truth of the Scriptures. If they preach not according to this Word, the prophet said, it is because there is no light in them. And we've got to preach the Scriptures We've got to tell you what it says in the Bible. There's no point in me, as we said, coming to you with my own thoughts or with my own ideas. That's not going to do you any good when you come to eternity. You've got to come with the precious Word of God. And so here is the proof. What saith the Scriptures? What saith the Word of God? That's, it's not what people tell you or any preacher tells you or any bishop tells you. It's what the Word of God has to say, and we need the precious Word of God. And then you will see that he speaks about the resurrection here. He speaks about the cross, and he speaks about the resurrection. He speaks about the pains and sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fact that up from the grave he arose And he speaks there about the proofs of the resurrection. He speaks about the fact that uh, there were still eyewitnesses in those days. And he tells them that these things are true. That God, that the Lord Jesus Christ truly has risen from the dead. And you know it is the most attested fact in history. The uh, uh, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We serve a risen saviour. The one who rose from the dead is able to draw others from the dead. We, because he lives, the Bible says, we shall live also. And what a message of rejoicing and peace and blessing is brought by the Apostle Paul. It is a biblical message, and that's what we need to come to you to bring to you today in this meeting. So we see the approach. It is a biblical approach. It's, I suppose, a doctrinal approach, but it is with the truth of God, and that's what you need. But then I want you to see not only the approach here, but I want you to see the application. Now, it's no good uh, reciting a lot of facts. Uh, We can bring you uh, a lecture tonight, and we can tell you all the facts about The way of salvation and about the way that the Lord Jesus died on the cross, and that would be useful and it would be a a wonderful subject of um, contemplation to think about what it meant for the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross and about all of the details. And of course, as God's people, we never tire of the details of the cross and about what our Savior did, and we could give you a theological lecture. But, dear friend, it's not just a theological lecture that we need to bring. And I want you to see that Paul is a preacher. He's not a lecturer. He's not just coming to bring facts or theological doctrines, but he wants to apply it. And you'll see the way that he applies it. You'll see the application here. Look at verse 26. He says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abram, and whosoever among you fears God, to you is the word of this salvation sent so he comes now and there's a personal application to you is the word of this salvation sent and the word of salvation here is personal dear friend what a wonderful thing it is that the Lord comes down to us in a personal way and he brings us the word of salvation and I thank God that the word is sent it's sent to you it's sent to men and women in this day and generation. But what is the salvation that is sent? Well, I want you to see that it is a perfect salvation. It speaks there about the risen Redeemer, it is the proclamation of forgiveness of sins. We think of um, how he speaks there about uh, the sin that had separated them from uh, the Lord. If you look at verses 38 and 39, it says, be it known unto you therefore that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. So there's the message. And he says to you is this message come. A message of forgiveness. A message of justification. Justification, of course, is where God declares us just as if We had never sinned. We thank God for the Savior who died in our room and in our stead. Who lived a life of perfect righteousness. And then that righteousness when he died is transferred to his people. And because we are in Christ, we have his righteousness. And we thank God tonight that there is a message of forgiveness and salvation. And it is an irreversible forgiveness. It is not going to be taken back. It is that our sins are blotted out as far as the east is from the west. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And thank God that this is a perfect salvation. It's a perfect salvation for you. It is not something that is going to uh, falter, it's going to fail when it comes to the day when it is tested. But not only is it a perfect salvation, it's a proclaimed salvation. You'll notice that it is proclaimed, he says, it's proclaimed to you. It's sent to you. We think of what Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He says, it's a faithful saying. It is a proclaim, it's a proclamation that Christ Jesus is come into the world. To save sinners. And we're glad that the word is proclaimed. We're glad that it is set out. That God has sent his preachers into the world. To proclaim the way of life and the way of death. And it is still proclaimed in this day and generation. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And dear friend, it's a wonderful blessing that you have heard the word of God proclaimed. There are many in this day and generation that have never heard the word. But not only is it a proclaimed salvation, it is a perceived salvation. The Bible says, how shall they believe in him, him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And these people here had heard the word and they had perceived the word. The word had come to them. And he says to you, is this salvation sent. Isn't that a wonderful thing that God sends his salvation mercy to you and to me? But not only is it a perceived salvation, it is a particular salvation. Because sometimes when God sends the world, he sends it in a particular way. It is in a way in which you it speaks to you as maybe it has never spoken before. There are many people who sit in meetings such as this and they listen to the word of God and in that sense that they are able to perceive the word, they hear it with their ears. But You know, there are times when God reaches far beyond the ears and reaches into the heart. And dear friend, maybe tonight God is laying hold upon you. He is speaking to you. You know, I remember a meeting uh, way back early in my ministry, and there was a young fellow had been invited in by one of his workmates to the meeting, and he sat at the back of the church, and I didn't even know that he was there. I didn't even see him. He was sort of in behind other people, away at the back of the church. And it wasn't until he was going out that I even saw that he was there. But this young fellow went into the meeting or went into work the next day and he said to his friend that had brought him, you know that preacher was preaching at me. He knew all about me and he was speaking just to me. And I didn't even know that the fellow was there. I didn't know that he was coming. But obviously God in his mercy had reached down and spoken to him. I know of other people that left the church because they thought that I was getting at them. But I wasn't getting at them. I, I was, I, it wasn't well I was prob- I was getting at them through the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't deliberately. I wasn't uh, setting out to speak a message to them, but God was speaking. And maybe it's the same with you this evening that God is speaking, speaking to your heart. So we see the application. there's got to be an application of the word. and I've got to bring the word to you tonight and I've got to say receive the Lord Jesus Christ. To as many as received him, to them gave him the power to become the sons of God. Many people don't like a message being personal, but we've got to become personal, and we've got to apply the word. Any preacher's got to apply the word. But there's one more thing here that I want you to see. I want you to see here in this portion of Scripture, there is the, uh, first of all, his approach And then we have seen something of his application. But then I want you to see his appeal. Now look at verse 39. Here is the appeal. He says, And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. By him all that believe are justified From all things. Now we have already pointed out. The sovereignty of God and salvation. But we pointed to this portion of scripture. And said that you have a responsibility. You have got to do something. All that. Believe. You've got to come. You've got to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's sermon is all about the sovereignty of God. But then at the end he brings the appeal. belief. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, all, and thou shalt receive. All that believe are justified. And you've got to believe. Believe in the Savior. Believe in the gospel. Believe in the way of salvation. The Lord exhorted people, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't stay unsaved. Don't stay in your sin. But you've got to trust him. Will you trust him tonight? The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. But you've got to come. You've got to seek the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've got to believe. But not only have you got to believe, but you've got to beware. Look at verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you that is spoken of in the prophet's. What was spoken of in the prophets? Well, he goes on, and he quotes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1 and verse 5. And if you were to look in Habakkuk, chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. And the work that the prophet Habakkuk is referring to is the judging and chastising hand of God. So really what the apostle here is saying to the people is beware of the judgment of God. If you don't believe, you've got to beware. You've got to beware that you're heading on the road that leads to destruction, that you're going down the road of a lost eternity. And dear friend, you've got to beware that one day you're going to give an account of yourself to God. That one day you're going to stand before God and God was going to be your judge. And you've got to beware. And dear friend, if you don't believe, then beware. But then there's one more exhortation or appeal that is given here. If you look in the portion of Scripture, verse 41. Behold! Behold ye despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it. And here he says, Behold your end. Behold where you're going. Behold where you're going to end up. Oh, what a wise person it is to look where they're going. If you don't look where you're going, you're going to end up in an awful lot of trouble. And dear friend, as far as your life is concerned, where are you going? You've got to behold, you've got to see where you're going. And I wonder tonight uh, where it is that you're going to land up. But there's something else you could behold. The apostle says, behold, your end. Behold, and wonder and perish, he says. He says to these people that are going to perish. But there's something else you can behold. The uh, John the Baptist said, "Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the feet the the sin of the world. Behold the one who is able to save. Behold the one who is able to deliver you and lift you from the very pit and mire of sin. Behold the Saviour on the cross, a spectacle of woe. Behold His loving." Uh, uh, arms uh, uh, and the uh, spectacle of this blood incessant flow. Will you behold him? The Savior said, Look and live. Look to the cross and live. Behold the Savior tonight. Will you, by faith, behold the only way of salvation? Behold the only one who is able to save. And you'll see that at the very center of the message that Paul preaches is the Lord Jesus Christ. We think of what he said, we preach Christ and him crucified. And that's at the very center of every effective message that we preach. It's the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the only Savior. Look to him and live tonight by his grace and by his power. Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for the message of salvation tonight. We thank thee, Lord, for the appeal that the apostle brought to these people to beware, uh, to behold, and to believe and our God, we pray that men and women might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Lord, write thy word upon hearts. Draw sinners to thyself for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a few verses of the last hymn there. It's the hymn 252. And can I say, that if God has spoken to you, then get in contact with us if you're on the internet. Or speak to us, and we're only too glad to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Two hundred and fifty-two. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See in the portals. He's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. We'll sing the first two verses of the hymn and we'll stand as we sing. 252. loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we pray that thou wouldst part us in thy fear and in thy blessing, and we pray that thou wouldst take us to our homes in safety, write thy word upon our hearts, and now unto the King eternal, invisible, the only wise God, Uh, be glory and honor and blessing today and in the incoming days, for Jesus' sake, Amen.
1: amen.